All right, well, it's nice to have a little bit of fun while we uh, are getting ready to finish up this series. Our band did a great job with that. That was so incredible. <laughs> right? Yeah. I know some of you guys might be here for the first time. You're feeling a little guilty already, right? Because you're in church and you're going, I think I just had fun and I'm at church. I'm not sure that's allowed, you know? And, but it is. It absolutely is allowed. Listen, we've been in this series. And, and as we've been in this series, it's, it's about seeing this person that is very real. Satan, seeing him, seeing that, that the devil, that, that he is real, that, that one of the greatest deceptions of all time is him convincing people that he does not exist. And so we've been looking at some of the key attributes, these key names of who he is and what he has been up to, what he is doing in our lives. And so we've looked at this and said, hey, we're going we're gonna to take some time and look at a few names. And so we start with the devil, a.k.a that he is the deceiver, that that's who he is, the deceiver, who he attacks your mind with lies. That, that what he does is, is he just keeps causing these questions to rise up and, and gets us to question God. And, and as he gets us to question God, these questions, they're designed to deceive us, they're designed to trick us, but ultimately they are designed to hurt us. Because see, he is the deceiver. Last week, we looked at accuser, that when we look at this devil, a.k.a. the accuser, who attacks your spirit with allegations. And, and, and as we looked at this, I, I shared with you that, that, that Satan, he's, he's a cheerleader, that, that he loves to cheer you on. But the only time he's going to cheer you on is before the sin. That, that when, when there's just that thought, and, and he puts that tempting thought out there for you, and, and you begin to be tempted to, to do a sin, he's going to cheer, cheer, cheer you on. Oh, it'll be worth it. He, he'll tell you, oh, you deserve it. He's going to tempt you. But after you fall into that temptation, he is no longer a great encourager. He becomes the great accuser and, and, and he tells you you're so selfish that, that, that he tells you oh you'll never be forgiven because he just accuses us and rips us up that, that the devil he's your accuser and Jesus he's your advocate he's your defender and, and here's the, the, the big nugget that we shared last week that Satan knows your name, but he chooses to call you by your sin. And God knows your sin, but he chooses to call you by your name because he loves you. Today we're going to finish this whole thing up with looking at the deceiver. I mean, sorry, the destroyer. The, the devil, a.k.a. the destroyer. And the destroyer, who does what? Who attacks your heart with pride. That this is how he works his destruction magic, is attacking your heart with pride. You and I, were, we were born into a battlefield. And this battlefield that, that we were born into, that the battle was taking place long before we ever arrived. And chances are it's going to continue long after we are gone. Unless God says it's time to send Jesus back and it's going to be the end. 
that it's just going to keep on continuing this battlefield that we are on, that there's, there's no escaping it while we live in this temporary life. And this battle is between God and the devil. But make sure to understand this, that, that, that God and the devil, they are not equal adversaries. It, it is not an equal fight. That God is so much bigger and stronger. And, and you and I, we get to choose if we want to be on God's side. Do we get to, hey, do, do we want to be on God's side in, in this battle? But we have to make our choice. We're going to be in a lot of scripture this morning, several different places. In fact, if you are brand new to us and you're like going, man, I'm just looking for a new church and I want a church that just always is just spending a lot of time in God's word, that, that you might get a false sense of how much scripture we actually look at in a given week. Because we're just going to be looking at a lot as we try to understand this destroyer. But we definitely always get into God's word because we want to learn from it. So we're going to start in Ephesians, this New Testament book, Ephesians chapter 6. And when we look at this and we look at chapter 6, it's right at the very end of the book of Ephesians. And so we're going to start in verse 11. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. He's given us this image. Put on what? Put on God's armor. So, so that we will be able to do what? So we can stand firm against not some, not against most, but against all strategies of the devil. This armor, okay, there's something to this armor that we need to get, we need to understand. But before he tells us about this armor, verse 12, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. That's the battlefield that, that we are fighting on. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will be standing firm. As he begins to describe this armor, he says, put on, put on the belt of truth. That, that, that truth is your friend. Don't, don't be afraid of truth. Put on the belt of truth. He says, put on the, the breastplate, the, the, the body armor of God's righteousness. Not yours, because you don't have enough. Put it on, put on God's right to protect the vital organs. It's about what God can do to defend you, that we would put this on, that we need to put on the shoes of peace, that, that, that we would seek to wherever we go, wherever we walk, that we are seeking out to have peace in life and that we are sharing God's peace with others. Put on this helmet of salvation, that we would protect our mind, this helmet of salvation, that we would put it on. And then he talks about the sword of the Spirit. It's the only offensive weapon that we have when it comes to God's armor, putting on all of God's armor, the sword of the Spirit, which is God's word, and that we would have that. And after he talked about those pieces, look at this, verse 16, in addition to all of these Hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. The, the what? Hold up the shield of faith so that we can stop the fiery arrows, these darts that are just going to keep coming at us. Listen, you and I, we are no match for the devil on our own. 
that, that, that for you or me to, to try to stand up to Satan on our own would be like bringing rubber bands to a missile fight. We, we, we don't have it in us on our own to be able to be victorious. And so we've got to go, hey, how is it that we can be victorious? Because this enemy, he is coming after us. See, the devil doesn't fight fair. That the, the Satan can't slug you. And so what does he do? Instead, he puts these discouraging ideas in our head and in our heart. That he just wants to discourage us. And that we, we have to catch him in the act. We have to recognize what he is doing and what he is up to. And when we catch him in the act and we recognize this, this is when we call on Jesus to fight the battle for us. The devil isn't afraid of you. He's afraid of who's in you. He's not afraid of you. He's not afraid of me. But if you've bowed the knee of your heart to Jesus, he is afraid of who is in you. And because he can't directly hurt God, he goes after God's family. That's what he does. He goes after God's family. And, and the two most frequented attack points are our head. In our heart. That's why we've got to make sure this helmet of salvation, it's, it's, it's secure, this breastplate of God's righteousness, that it is in place, this body armor. Because he's coming after our head and he's coming after our heart. Peter, who is one of the disciples of Jesus, and in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, he says, Stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. Stay alert, stay, stay aware, and, and make sure that you're watching out. He says he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That he's given us this word picture of understanding what he is after. He's prowling around, he's looking for someone to devour. Verse 9, stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. It's being strong in your faith and, and hold up that, that shield of faith because the darts are coming. John, who was also a disciple, he, he captured this as something that, that Jesus had said while Jesus was still here on earth. He says, yes, I am the gate and those who come in through me will be saved. Saved what? Saved from their sin, saved from the penalty of their sin, saved into a right relationship with me, saved into heaven. They will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. But the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. But the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. It's a high contrast that the great enemy kill, steal, destroy. He wants to steal. He wants to kill. He wants to God. He says, hey, what, what I want to do, Jesus, he comes along and says, 
hey, what I want to do is, is I want to come along and I want to be your defender. I've got something good for you that I have in store for you that I want to give it a rich and a satisfying life. And it's so interesting because what happens is Satan begins to attack us. He begins to attack us and he tempts us with things that we think will lead to a rich and satisfying life. That, that's how the, the temptations go. Oh, that, that'll give me a rich, that'll, oh, that'll satisfy me. But it doesn't. It hurts us. And it hurts the ones we love. When we fall into these temptations, it even hurts our relationship with God. The, the, the NLT, New Living Translation, we're reading from, it says, Jesus says, it translates this as rich and satisfying life. For, for years and years and years and years and years, I read from the New International Version, a great translation of our Bible. And in that translation, it says that Jesus came to give us life and life more abundant. That this abundant life. And, 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 and that passage, John 10, 10, was a passage that when my business partner and I, when we were just getting started with our business and getting this thing launched, we, we kind of claimed that verse, and, and we created our business name behind this, and, and our business name is Abundant Life Expressions, because we just know that, that what Jesus came for, he came for this abundant life, is just a way for us to be able to begin to share our story of who we are in Christ, and so we held on to that. Verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. That's what the good shepherd does. You know what a mediocre shepherd does? Ooh, there's a wolf coming. It's either me or the sheep. You can have the sheep. <laughs> I got plenty more. So that's what a mediocre one does. But see, a good one doesn't just defend and protect. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, and I came to what? To actually lay my life down. It's not just let me protect you and I'm going to chase him off. No, I'm going to give my life so that you're going to be okay. This is one of the many times when Jesus let us know in advance what he was up to. That he was going to be a sacrifice for our sins. That we weren't taken by surprise going, oh, what, 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 Jesus, you're, you're on a cross, you're, you're dying, you're, you're dying a sacrificial death. Because he kept telling us over and over and over that he would be doing this. But this enemy, the devil, he wants to steal. And if all he wanted to steal was a little satisfaction, that if all he wanted to kill was, was a little bit of contentment, that if all he wanted to destroy was just, just a little bit of your delight, then he wouldn't be that big of a threat. But see, he's after so much more. That when we look at him, he's out to destroy some things. He's out to destroy our friendships. He's out to destroy our finances. He's out to destroy our families. He's out to destroy our faith. He's on the prowl. And so when we look and see that he's out to steal and kill and destroy, he's out to steal your hope. You know, the most miserable existence in life is to live without hope. It's as bad as it gets to be living without hope. And he wants to steal your hope. 
that when we look at what he's after, he wants to kill. What he wants to kill? He wants to kill your soul. He doesn't want your soul to stand a chance to be with God. And he wants to kill that. that we look at him and go, he, he wants to destroy. And what's he want to destroy? He wants to destroy our chance at eternity. But once we have that secured, then he just wants to make sure that those that don't have it secured don't find out about it. And those that have secured it, He's going to try to make us as miserable as he can make us. Because he is out to steal, kill, and destroy. And in Satan's economy, vulnerability is high when awareness is low. That, 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 that you and I, that, that we are most vulnerable to these attacks. We are most vulnerable to him coming in and, and causing some destruction and wreaking some havoc. That the vulnerability is high when our awareness is low. And, and, and we're just not aware. We're not aware that he's out there and he's prowling. We're not aware that, that he's coming after us. We're not aware of his schemes and his plans. We've kind of just started to take some of the armor off. God, that's a little difficult to carry around all the time. And wear that, I just want to kind of put it off. And in his economy, vulnerability is high when awareness is low. Many people that are, that are here listening online, you, you are familiar with, with a guy in our Bible named David that, that we actually refer to him as King David. And, and, and King David is, is famous for a few things. He's famous because he slayed a giant Goliath. He got, got famous for that one. He, he kind of got a lot more fame as well when we ended up having an affair and, and, he, and he cheated on his own wives, and he cheated on this woman's husband, and he cheated. He, we, we know about, and then he wanted to cover it up because she got pregnant. And, and he, as he tried to cover it up, he had difficulty trying to make that happen, and so he couldn't make that happen without sparing life. So what did he do? He took a life to try to cover this up. So some people look at David's life and they're going, okay, you know, he's got some root issues. What, what, what's his root issues? Was it lust? Was, was that lust for power? Or lust sexually? Was, was that? Some people look and go, okay, well, what, what was his root issue? Was it that he just didn't value human life and, and that, that he was willing to take lives with little to no regard? I actually think that his root issue was pride. That that was his root issue. And Satan prides himself in attacking us where we are proud. That, that where we are proud. And, and Satan, he came after David. And as he comes after David, he comes after him when he is strong. He comes after him when he's confident. He comes after him when he's been experiencing a lot of victories. When, when you look at David's life, that, that you could easily look and go, you know, David had a favorite song. And that song went something like this. Yeah, that, that, that's his favorite song, right? Because he's going, man, I'm winning, I'm victorious, nobody can defeat me. And Satan comes after him. When he is strong and confident and victorious. We're going to be in the Old Testament here in 1 Chronicles. 
the, the, these, this, this chronicles of these different kings, and we're going to look at the, this situation with David, Chronicles chapter 21. Starting in verse 1, Satan rose up against Israel and caused David to take a census of the people of Israel. I, I, I am so nervous about bringing this verse up and what's happening with census and people going, oh, so Satan is causing America to have a census. <laughs> Let's not touch that. But look at this verse with me. And, and as you look at this verse, Satan caused. When, when you see caused, what, what I want you to, to understand with this cause, this cause, it, it means this simply. It means that he, want, he successfully tempted. That, that's caused right here. He successfully tempted David to take a census. Now, ha- having a census and taking a census, there's nothing wrong with this. In fact, there were times that God told Moses, Moses, I want you to take a census of the people. We, we know that there was another census that was taking place that led Mary and Joseph to a little town called Bethlehem where Jesus was born and the prophecy was there. And so census isn't the problem. There's something else going on that there would be a problem with this. Verse 2. So David said to Joab and the commanders of his army, Take a census of all the people of Israel from Beersheba in the south to Dan in the north and bring me a report so I may know how many there are. So when we don't understand what all's going on, it's easy to look at this and go, what's, what's the problem? But see, somebody, a commander in his army, knew what the problem was. Verse 3, but Joab replied, May the Lord increase the number of his people a hundred times over. But why, my lord the king, a little L, little K, talking to David, but why, my lord the king, do you want to do this? Are they not all your servants? Why must you cause Israel to sin? It's motives. It's motives that reveal whether or not our actions are sinful. What what, what is the motive behind what we are doing? And David was taking this census because he was wanting to puff up his pride. He he was looking at the census to go, hey, I want to see my mighty military. I want to know how big, how strong, how many are in my mighty military. Because he was relying on himself and his men. There's a line between confidence and pride. And when you think about this line, what is the line between your confidence and your pride? Because it might be a a thin line like this. A thin line that that where you separate these and there's just a, a little gap. And that little gap is something the ego is very comfortable with. To say, oh, no, no. <laughs> I've got confidence. I got pro- they're, they're, they're not attached. They are separate. See, look right there. I can prove it that they are not the same. See, how, how thin is your line between confidence and pride? Because, see, there's a, 
There's another measurement, and it's not the measurement of ego, but it's the measurement of humility. And, and, and humility takes, and it says, okay, we gotta, we got to get a little bit more gap going here to make sure that there is a separation between our confidence and our pride. Ego wants these things to be as close as possible. In fact, you might have heard this before. I, I don't know who said it. But somebody once said that, that they defined ego this way. Edging God out. Ego. And, and we're just going to edge and push him out of the way because we've got this one. And this is where David was finding himself. Verse 4. But the king insisted that they take the census. Joab's coming along and he's warning them, kind of letting them know you probably really don't need to. And he insisted, we're going to take the census. So Joab traveled throughout all Israel to count the people. Then he returned to Jerusalem and he reported the number of people to David. That that David, he was feeling pretty self-sufficient. And that's what pride does, that that it says, hey, you know, I I am self-sufficient. And and, and it's when we take confidence and we say, my confidence is going to be in myself. And when we start carrying this confidence for ourselves, we start falling right into Satan's schemes. And so here's the report. There were 1,100,000 warriors in all Israel who could handle a sword. There were 470,000 in Judah. That the Israelites, they'd been divided into a northern and a southern district kingdom. And so you look at this, there's, there's over one and a half million. But Joab did not include the tribes of Levi and Benjamin in the census because he was so distressed at what the king had made him do. Pride is so hard to see in the mirror. And, and, and David, he can't even see pride. He can't see all this pride that is taken over. And the greater our pride is, the, the greater the opening for Satan to come in and destroy our lives. And he is a destroyer. I wrestle with pride. The, the, this is the one that that Satan can have more victory and heydays in my life than other areas. Because, see, I, I'm a prideful person. So I, I want to impress others. I'm not a people pleaser, though. And, and, and for me, there's a distinct line. I'm not interested in just pleasing people, but I definitely want to impress people. You know, I don't just want to impress people, other people. My pride goes so deep, I want to impress myself. That's, that's my, my pride. A, a couple of years ago, I was driving a seven-year-old Prius. And, I, and as I'm driving this, and, and I've driven it for years, but this one day as I'm driving this thing, I go, and this thought, it's an ugly thought, and I'm just a little confession. You kind of, we're just going to all enter the, you guys be on the other side of the confession booth for me, okay? So, so here it is. I'm going to confess this. I'm driving my car, and this is the thought that I have. I make way too much money to be driving this car. 
That, that is the thought that I have. I, I hate to admit it to you. But I, I just, I'm just driving. I'm like going. And this thought just kind of comes over me. And it's an ugly, it's, it's a prideful thought. It, it's my pride that's just coming in and taking over. And, and what I had to do is, is I had to remind myself that why will or have you chosen to drive this car for so long? And I had to remind myself of that why. And as much as I want to tell you that why, it would only fuel my pride for me to tell you. So I do, I, I know pride, and, but I just don't always recognize it in my own life. The, 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 the people around me see it long, long before I see it in myself. Because it is hard to see. And, and pride, pride can hurt. Pride, pride can hurt your influence that you have with others. That, that as parents, sometimes we get proud in, in the way that we handle life with our kids and we hurt our influence with our kids because of our pride. That pride, it, it hurts our leadership. It hurts our credibility. It hurts our finances. How many of us have made some poor financial choices because of our pride? Because we go, what? I deserve, I've earned, and I should, and and, and it hurts us. It'll hurt our finances. It'll hurt our friendships. It'll hurt our marriages. It'll hurt our faith. It is out to hurt us. Proverbs 16, 18, this book of wisdom, pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. And you know how pride shows itself? It shows itself like this. Well, I would never, and we've just kind of finished filling that in, Right? You know what causes us to, to start thinking that and even say that? Well, I would never. It's our pride. We're defending our pride. I work hard for what I have. It, you know where that comes from too, right? It's, it's, it's our pride. Our pride just comes in and, you know, it might be something like this. I, I, I might have a problem, but I can't talk to anybody about it. It's our pride that we won't let others in and let them know and let them see and even try to help us. That is pride. You, here, here's another one where it comes in. It's not my fault. It's pride. Th th these, are, these are prideful thoughts and prideful statements and undealt with pride, it will prevent you from what? From acknowledging your faults. It, it, it will prevent you from this. You, you won't even be able to acknowledge that you have these faults. It's, it's your pride. It, it will prevent you from admitting your mistakes. Because pride, pride tells them, you, you can't admit that. You can't let them know. It, it's pride that, that does this, and pride that prevents us from apologizing to those you've wronged. This is all the effect of pride. And Satan wants to, to destroy, he wants to attack our hearts with pride. Let's get back to David and wrap this up. Verse 7, God was very displeased with the census and he punished Israel for it. 
David did it. He punishes Israel for it. Then David said to God, I have sinned greatly by taking this census. Please forgive my guilt for doing this foolish thing. So God gives David three choices. So I'm going to give you three choices. There's a consequence, and I'm going to let you pick and choose which consequence you want. You can pick a three-year famine for the people. You can pick three months of the sword where I'm not going to be fighting your battles with you and for you, but the enemy is going to have his way with you for three months, and I'm not going to be there. Or you can have three days of a severe plague. You probably hear those options and you probably go, "Um, I'll take the three days. Which is exactly what David picked. Picked the three days of this severe plague. Verse 14, so the Lord sent a plague upon Israel and 70,000 people died as a result. You know what we tell ourselves? My pride's not hurting anybody. That's what we tell ourselves. And I'm sure that David was thinking the same thing. Hey, it's my pride, it's my problem, a little harm, a little foul. 70,000 lives. That's not a little harm, a little foul. We are kidding ourselves when we think our pride, it's only affecting us. The damage that it causes to others it is probably a measure that is beyond measurement. That we will never understand this full degree to what took place. Verse 15, and God sent an angel to destroy Jerusalem. But just as the angel was preparing to destroy it, the Lord relented and said to the death angel, stop, that's enough. And David looked up and he saw the angel of the Lord standing between heaven and earth with its sword drawn, reaching out over Jerusalem. So David and the leaders of Israel put on burlap to show their deep distress, and they fell face down on the ground. David said, it's not my ego. I can't can't operate this way anymore. David said, "I've, I've got to separate confidence from pride, and I've got to become... Humble. The, the humility. And, and when the humility comes in, it turns things around. Verse 17, and David said to God, I am the one who called for the census. I am the one who has sinned and done wrong. But these people are as innocent as sheep. What have they done? Oh, Lord, my God, let your anger fall against me and my family, but do not destroy your people. That's humility. Humility. That started to create a gap in his confidence and his pride, a much bigger gap, a wider line. We're going to be here just a couple more minutes. I've got just a couple more things I want to share with you guys. Passage in Isaiah. It gives us insight into Satan, the devil, Lucifer, the morning star, whatever you know him as, this deceiver, the accuser, the destroyer. Isaiah 14, starting in verse 12. 
how you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, sun of the morning. You have been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. And I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. That is what got him removed And I love how St. Augustine put this. It was pride that changed angels into devils. And it is humility that makes men as angels. It's it's humility that makes us as the angels, like an angel, the way that that God would want us to behave. But it is pride that causes an angel to fall from heaven and become devilish. You know, this Wednesday... We have our drive-through prayer. And drive-through prayer for us is we put signs out. There's people out there waving and waving hello, letting them know, hey, just come on in and pull right in if you want to be prayed for. And, and, and there will be dozens of people that it won't be their ego. It's going to be their humility that allows them to pull onto our property. And that we're going to be praying with them and for them. And it is amazing to hear what people want us to pray for. I'll I'll tell you one of the standout ones, and it took such humility for somebody to pull in and do this. They pulled in, and they rolled down their window, and they said, we need prayer. We are on our way to the courtroom right now for a trial because my daughter was raped. And we just need prayer as we go into trial. It's humility that allows someone to say, I can't do this on my own. I need help. And this is an incredible opportunity for us as a church to minister to others. If you're somebody, if you're on, hey, I, I want to be part of that. Maybe you just want to wave. Maybe you want to actually, I, I'd love to help pray with some people. Well, whichever way you want to be part of this, you can stop by our next steps booth and say, hey, I'd like to find out more about that and how I can help with it. Maybe you can go, I, I can't even be here for it, but what setup needs to be done? I'll help set it up. I'll, I'll help break it down because I just want to be a part of what happens when people humbly call upon God. For prayer. Last passage, let me share this with you. James chapter 5. Jesus' half brother. Verse 4, chapter 4, verse 5. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him, and he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Verse 7, so humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will, check out this word, casually step back from you. If you resist the devil, he will slowly walk away. That's not what it says. It says what? Resist the devil, and he will, what's the word? He'll flee. When we resist him and he sees he can't get through God's breastplate of righteousness, I've got the shield of faith, he will flee from you. Come close to God. 
And God will what? He will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. It takes humility to confess. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and glooming instead of joy. This is where David found himself when he could finally see pride in the mirror and see what he had done. Verse 10, last verse. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will lift you up in honor. Pray with me. God, it is humility that separates confidence from pride. And I pray that that we would be people that we could have confidence in you, that that's where we find our confidence, that we don't carry our own confidence in ourselves, but we carry confidence in you. And we make sure there is a separation between confidence and pride, and we would be people that we would find ourselves living this life with little to no fear of joy in you and joy in this life because we are confident of who you are and what you are capable of doing. God, kick pride out of our lives so that the great enemy can't attack our hearts with pride. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.